This story, the story of Peter, is the last personal encounter message of this series. We have been looking at other people, 10 other people, actually personal encounters people had with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And our focus has been on the Gospel of John, John's perspective. Last week we read John's own story, uh, the story of the disciple whom Jesus loved. So we've read about Andrew and Nicodemus and the woman at the well and many others. Jesus had something special for each of them. And Peter's story is a fitting conclusion. Peter had a long and storied history with Jesus. He was first introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew. Later, Jesus came to the two brothers at the lake while they were fishing and called them to be his disciples. You remember that? And James and John also, kind of their partners in fishing. And Jesus just said to them, come follow me. And they just dropped everything and they went with him. Peter was a simple man, successful fisherman, we think, business with his brother Andrew. But when Jesus intersected with their lives, Peter quickly believed in Jesus and followed him. And there was no hesitation with Peter ever. He just did whatever his heart told him to do and didn't, didn't question it. Peter was the disciple who first confessed his faith in Jesus publicly. You remember Jesus had asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Matthew 16, 16. There, there are many stories about Peter during these three and a half years that he spent where he followed Jesus throughout Israel. And we're only going to be able to take time for a few of them today. I was explaining to my wife how frustrated I was that, you know, there's a boatload of stuff in John about Peter, and there's no time to talk about every one of those. So uh, as we think about these personal encounters, if you're taking notes, I'll tell you the chapters where you can find Peter, and you just write these down, you can go back for yourself. John 1, John 6, John 13, John 18, John 20. John 21, 1, 6, 13, 18, 20, 21. There you go. You go back and read them all. So I want to encourage you this morning to take out your Bible. If you brought your Bible with you, I, I commend you for that. I'm glad you did. That's an important thing to do. If you didn't uh, and you want to use one of the Pew Bibles, they're right there. Uh, they're, they're going to be using the text from the uh, New International Version uh, that I'll be reading from today. And I want you to be able to flip freely through these different pages and follow along because I'm not going to read every scripture or talk about some of the things and try and summarize as we think of the personal encounters that Peter had with Jesus. First of all, let's go to John 660. Jesus had recently fed over 5,000 people with a small boy's lunch. We talked about this earlier this summer when we were talking about Andrew. And the people tried to come after this miraculous feeding and, and make him king by force. You know, just be our king. Feed us all the time. Take care of us. But Jesus walked away. The next day, the people found Jesus and his disciples on the other side of the lake, and Jesus accused them of following him only for the food, for the free food. And uh, he was probably right. He said what God wanted from them was to believe in Jesus to put their trust in him as their deliverer. He said that he is the bread of life that God sent from heaven, and they need to believe in him in order to have eternal life. He said he's the living bread, and that if anyone eats this bread, they will live forever. The people objected to Jesus' words. They said, now how can he give us his flesh to eat? You know, you don't eat somebody else. That's cannibalism. But Jesus just didn't let that thought go. He even went with it. He ran with it. He said, 
what we call a hard saying, a saying that is hard for people to understand. And I don't have time to go into that whole lesson, but basically Jesus was saying they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they said, no, that's awful. We don't want to talk about that. And he was saying, not literally, but spiritually, you need to take me in. You need to be one with me and you need to let my life be lived in you. But they took it literally and, of course, objected to the whole idea of cannibalism. And so John tells us in John 6, 66, that many of his disciples turned away. Look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned away and no longer followed him. That would be hundreds, maybe even thousands of people started walking away. And Jesus turned to his disciples. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve, and Simon Peter answered. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's Peter answering again first. Nobody else gets a chance to speak in this group. Have you noticed? He's first to tell you what he's thinking. He's right on the money many times, sometimes not so good. But here he is right on the money. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're the ones with the words of eternal life. Nobody else is talking about eternal life. Nobody else knows what they're talking about anyhow. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. No one but Jesus can speak the words of eternal life. A lot of people are trying. A lot of other uh, religious leaders are trying, but no one can. Let's skip down to chapter 13, big jump, chapter 13 of John. What a night, what a night for Jesus and his disciples. This is the night of Jesus' last supper, the night of his betrayal, his arrest. Everything comes to a head that night. And Jesus is meeting here in chapter 13 in an upper room with his disciples for an early version of the Passover, like one day early. And as they arrive, no one else washes their feet. So Jesus, the leader, gets up, takes off his robe, Wraps a towel around his waist and washes their feet. You know the story. Uh, as he got around from person to person, he gets to Peter, and Peter objects. He acts to this. He says, no, no, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter replied, wash not just my feet and my hands, but my head as well. And, uh, you know, again, you never had to wonder what Peter was thinking. He would tell you. Jesus explained afterwards why he'd washed their feet, that he wanted to give them an example. This is what leadership looks like in my kingdom. The leaders serve. Soon after that, Jesus began predicting his betrayal at the hands of one of the very disciples he had just served. And all of them were, of course, very curious about this. They were wondering... You know, why, why would somebody do that? Who could that be? And so, as we saw last week, Peter leans over to John, who is right beside Jesus, and he says, ask him, who is it? And John does. And Jesus says, whoever he gives the bread to next is the one that's going to do it. And he takes off a piece of bread, and he gives it to Judas Iscariot. And Judas immediately went out in order to set up his betrayal. Verse 27. Jesus then told his disciples he was going away and that they could not come with him. And Peter immediately questions this. What are you talking about? 
Why would you go somewhere without us? Why couldn't we go with him? Look at verse 36. Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. See how bold he is about this? And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus' rebuke must have been like a two-by-four, you know, between the eyes for Peter. Brash Peter, strong Peter, outspoken Peter. He, he professes, even boasts of his loyalty to Jesus unto death. And Jesus said this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me, not once, but three times. On this same occasion, this same time, Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus told Peter something else. Luke twenty two thirty one. he says this. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, to sift all of you. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Uh, I like that. We're going to get to that part of the story later on in the message. Peter is going to falter that night. But Jesus is going to bring him back to a place of useful service to God again. So how did it all turn out? Now we go John 18. Now they've had the meal. Jesus has had his high priestly prayer. He's talked about various things, about love and, and the disciples. And then they go out. How did the night go? How did that awful night go? Here are the actual events as they unfolded. Jesus went out into the olive grove with the disciples praying. While they're out there praying, Judas approaches with a detachment of soldiers and officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And we go to John chapter 18, and we go to verse 1. When they had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. And on the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Isn't that amazing? He said, I am he, and they all fell down. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So Jesus, knowing the soldiers are coming with Judas, walks away from the disciples and meets them kind of in the open area in order to protect the disciples. In fact, he says, let these men go later. And when the officials said that they wanted Jesus, Jesus said, I'm he, and they all just fall down. It's just like the power of his presence struck them to the ground. 
So he asked them again. They said, we came to, to get you, and they arrest him there in the garden. And Peter draws a sword, one of the two swords that Jesus had confirmed that they had, and he, he strikes Malchus's ear and cuts off his right ear. Now, don't you know he wasn't just aiming for the ear? He wanted to split his head open. That was the idea, was he's going to take this guy out. He's going to stand up and fight just like Jesus said he would do. He rose to Jesus' defense just like he said he would. And Jesus tells him to put his sword away. Now, we need to give Peter some credit here. He said he would defend Jesus to the death. And when the soldiers first arrested Peter, then Jesus, then Peter drew the sword and swung at the person closest to him. And when Jesus stopped the fight and he told Peter to put his sword away, I imagine Peter couldn't understand why. What, what is, what's going on? You know, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to defend you, Lord. And so he runs off with the other disciples, but not far. He stays close enough to see what's going on. What are they going to do with Jesus? Do you see Peter's dilemma here? He really tried to protect Jesus and then be with Jesus even later when Jesus is taken to Caiaphas' household for the, for the trial. But Jesus didn't resist arrest. And Peter didn't know how to respond. He didn't know what to do. Must have been very confusing for Peter. He must have thought, you know, what's going on here? He says, why didn't this play out the way I kind of imagined it? You know, Jesus, Jesus says, I, you know, they're going to come after me, and I'm going to be ready to defend him. He is the strongest man I know, Peter's thinking, and yet he gave up without a fight. He went as a sheep to the slaughter. Can you imagine how distraught, how disillusioned Peter must have been as they led Jesus away? So this detachment takes them uh, Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and a mock trial of Jesus begins. The Jews already know the outcome. They're going to seek his death. They're seeking the death penalty. Now skip down to verses 15 and 16 of chapter 18. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priestesses, I think John, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty, and brought Peter in. So when they took Jesus into the high priest's compound, Peter and John found a way to get in. And Peter stood in the courtyard finding out whatever he could about what was going on. John perhaps left to ask questions because he was kind of known. He could mingle around more freely, find out what is happening. And while Peter's standing there alone with the other people, the accusations, the questions against him started coming. Didn't I see you with Jesus earlier? Aren't you a Galilean also? You know your speech gives you away. Aren't you, in fact, one of his followers? And Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Three times, as a matter of fact, just like Jesus said he would. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter ran out of that courtyard as fast as he could, weeping bitterly. He couldn't imagine that he could be such a coward. Here was this defeated, discouraged, broken man. His dreams shattered. And Jesus falsely accused, soon to be convicted. And Peter didn't have the courage to stand with him. Instead, he ran for his life. What a terrible night. What a, what a long night. And it continued. The disciples went into hiding, at least all of them except John. They heard Jesus had been sentenced to death. Then they heard that the Romans were going to crucify him. And still they remained hidden, afraid to do anything to help Jesus. 
Finally, they heard that Jesus had indeed been crucified. Almost none of them were there. Less than 24 hours, less than 20 hours after they had celebrated the Passover with their Lord, Jesus was dead. And their hiding continued. They thought the authorities were searching them out for the same punishment, death. Should they run away? Should they just hightail it? But they remained in hiding. And on the third day, unbelievably, they began hearing reports about an empty tomb. Let's go to chapter 20 in John's gospel. It says that Mary Magdalene went to Jesus' tomb early Sunday morning. She went to anoint his body with oil and spices, but the tomb was empty. And confused, she went back and she found Peter and John and told them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Go to verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. That's true to form. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Huh. Both of them believed. Not necessarily that Jesus had risen from the dead. They believed Mary's report, the grave is empty, his body is missing, and they return to where they had been staying, where they have been hiding. But Mary Magdalene come back to the tomb, and she stood there crying. And there Jesus appeared to her, and she is ecstatic. She wants to hug him and hold on to him forever, but he says, no, don't hold on to me. I have not yet returned to my father. And so she let go of him, and he says, go back and tell the disciples, I that you have seen me, and she does. She goes back to the disciples and says, I have seen the Lord. And that same night, with their doors locked, the windows locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus comes in to where the disciples are. He peers to them, and he says, Peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side where he had been wounded. The disciples are overjoyed to see their Lord, not just an empty tomb they'd heard about, but the risen Lord in their midst. And over the next few days, Jesus made many appearances to his disciples, proving that he had risen from the dead. Some accounts tell us that he even appeared to Simon in particular, as in Luke 24, 34. It says there's, there's uh, this personal thing that he wanted to make sure Peter saw him. But I want us to turn to one last personal encounter with Jesus before we finish. It's in John chapter 21. It occurred days after Jesus' death and resurrection when Peter, I think, is still feeling defeated and discouraged because of his own actions. He's having trouble forgetting what he had done, that he denied knowing Jesus. He's having trouble forgiving himself. He's feeling useless and worthless. And he's wondering what kind of place he could possibly have in Jesus' kingdom now. After all, he's a failure. He's someone who's let Jesus down. Yes, He's unimaginably glad that Jesus is alive, but why would Jesus ever trust someone like him again? John 21. Please follow along. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, 
Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Is that a, you know, just a little tongue-in-cheek thing there? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? (laughs) They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Quick to answer once again. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. At the lake, at his final personal encounter with Jesus, before Jesus went back to heaven, Peter was forever changed. He was given a second chance to get things right. And why did Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? Many have wondered this. If you read about this, you'll find out many possibilities that people have come up with. I really like what one pastor, Jerry Love, said about this final personal encounter. He said this. He says, what is Jesus even doing here? Is he shaming Peter? Is he using this questioning to punish poor Peter, to rub it in? No, he is reassuring Peter that he's not finished with him yet. He is building Peter up. When he has torn himself down, he is restoring Peter not only to his good graces, but to a place of valuable service. Peter, you have failed, but remember when I told you that you would. I said, I have prayed for you. 
that your faith fail not, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. You're going to be all right, Peter. I have a job for you in the kingdom. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my flock. Because Jesus is not in the condemning business. Jesus is in the saving business. So I see how Jesus revived and restored Peter to a place of value in Jesus' kingdom in this one final conversation of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, the personal encounters didn't stop. You've got to know that. Peter's personal encounters with Jesus continued and right through his life, even after his ascension into heaven, and they continued through the Holy Spirit. A few days later came the day of Pentecost. Many thousands of Jews flooded the streets of Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival. The Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to preach in languages they had never known before. And then Peter got up and he preached in Greek, the language that all could understand, the first gospel sermon recorded in our Bibles in the book of Acts chapter 2. And when he got to the end, thousands of the listeners were convicted in their hearts and they asked, What shall we do to be saved? And Peter, God's spokesman, replied. He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 people surrendered to Christ. They were baptized into Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ was born. After the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching His strong presence were a positive force in the early church. He was the spokesman in Acts 10 that God used to open up the gospel to the Gentiles. That's all of us. And he was one we understand from tradition who willingly gave his life for Christ when the time came to do so. Peter, personal encounters with Jesus. Now, before we quit, let's talk about us. Let's talk about you and me. Have we had a personal encounter with Jesus? If we did, what happened? You know, what happened? How did that encounter challenge your life? How did that possibly change your life if it did? Did you become a follower of Jesus? I did. I hope you did. Many of you did. But if you have not yet become a follower of Jesus, are you thinking about it? Are you thinking about following Jesus? You should be. It's the best thing to do. And if you're a Christian and you have these personal encounters with Jesus, have you ever, have you ever in your life deserted or failed or otherwise disappointed Jesus? If you have, and all of us have, I can say that unequivocally. Do you think that that failure somehow disqualifies you? That you could never be valuable to Jesus or his kingdom again? Do you feel that you are now useless to Jesus? Somebody else can do it. I I can't do it. I, I no longer fit that. After hearing Peter's story, are you sure? Are you sure that you're disqualified? I want you to think about that. Are you really useless? Even if you've denied knowing Jesus? Because Jesus revived and restored Peter. He could do the same for you. I want to imagine, you to imagine that Jesus is sitting down with you now. One-on-one. Just the two of you sitting in a room somewhere. Maybe he took you out 
for Coke and you're sitting there in a restaurant. And he wants to check something. He wants to ask you something. He doesn't demand perfection. He doesn't demand perfect obedience. He isn't interested in adding up your good deeds against your your, uh, failures. Which one is heavier? He isn't even bringing up your past. Just one thing's on his mind. And it's just this. Do you love him? Do you love him? That's it. Do you love him? Do you love him more than these? More than anything or anyone else? That's the question that's uppermost in Jesus' mind. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to promise him that you will never fail or make a mistake. You just have to answer this question truthfully. Do you love Jesus more than anything else? Because that's where true discipleship and love and service to Jesus begins. Do you love Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have an unconditional, irresistible, undeniable love for us. You have given it to us in Jesus who gave his life for us. And you have found a way to encounter each of us personally. And as we have met you, as we have talked with you in our minds and hearts, as we've heard your voice through the pages of scripture and through spokesmen you have sent into our lives, our hearts have been challenged. Our hearts have been touched. Our hearts, if we have listened and obeyed, been changed. Lord, some of us, probably all of us, have failed you. We have lacked courage. We have lived in fear. We have denied knowing you when it got difficult to stand for you. We have found our own way rather than following your way, and we've regretted it. We have been filled with remorse and sorrow at our sins. We have somehow arrived at a conclusion that we're no longer useful to you. But let us hear Peter's story today, Lord, that your desire is not to condemn but to save. Your desire is that our lives would be useful to you once again. And you will take us as we are. And you will use us with your power, with your grace. So that others will know you're living inside us. And so that others also can have a personal encounter with you. I pray today for each Christian in this audience today. That we would very seriously think about our relationship to you. And we would hear your words today of hope and of usefulness and of revival and restoration. And that we would feel, God, that we can truly be used by you again. Bless us, restore us, revive us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.